from the Rose City in beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon, home of bikes, books, bridges, beards, food carts, startups, and indie coffee. Grab your dog, snatch your hammer and beer, leave your umbrella at home. Welcome to the Tiny House Podcast. Is the Tiny House Podcast, and that was like a master blast clap. I know. This this MJ, you didn't introduce yourself. I didn't. He didn't. This is Perry. It's a master blaster. <laughs> Perry on the main mic. <laughs> this is Mark. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Can so, good morning. Good? Hey. Oh, hey. So, uh, Andrew. Let us do our, our yes. let us do our intro and then we'll bring you in. We'll make him do the intro. Okay, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so. Hey, I'll I'll wait to hear the thunder and then I'll come in. Okay, okay. great, that's there. good. Thunder and gators. <laughs> <laughs> so, what's going on in the podcast world, folks? Lots lots happening. Lots of stuff we can't talk about. <laughs> yeah, but in the podcast world specifically, I have been obsessing over no surprise to anybody else. Um, Airbnb podcast. That doesn't surprise me because you have at least one unit out. Yes, now? yeah, one, up for rental. Well, and I tend to sort of obsess about the latest thing that I'm working on. So I've been listening to tons and tons and tons of podcasts about Airbnb. And um, pray tell, what have you learned? <laughs> um, it's not quite as easy as everybody thinks. I nothing is, is it? Mm. Like there are just so many kinds of you know foibles and yeah. you know missteps, and that's that's kind of the first thing. Also, Airbnb continues to really evolve in what they're doing. For instance, right now, um, somewhat recently, they just offered the option to do what's called a group book. So let's say there's four people in your party instead of you paying for it all and then waiting for them to pay their portion. Oh, that's cool. Now Airbnb will actually facilitate that. Yeah. That was oh, wow. that was a, a fairly new feature. And then now, just rolled out in the last few days, they actually have a new feature called, um, it's a payment feature where you actually pay half instead of paying all of it when you book it. You pay only half when you book it and then half later. Oh, that's really nice. If right. you're getting a, an expensive place, you don't have to get the whole caboodle up at once like six months before you actually get out there to have fun on yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. So it actually helps the more expensive houses yeah. mm-hmm. because, again, you only have to pay half up front. And, right. again, if you imagine that you were to stack the group pay on top of the oh, yeah. new payment plan, you can imagine how that would work. Mm-hmm. Um, so the group pay is kind of like uh, splitting a check at dinner. Correct. Yeah, yeah and they, they facilitate that. Yeah, <laughs> but you're forced. But you're forced. It's like the last guy. Come on, pay me. Oh, yeah, we got to get exactly. out of here. Yeah, yeah exactly. we got to get done. We got to yeah, get yeah, done. So, yeah. so I found a really um, yeah. There's it's been um, also the other thing is is that uh, Portland. Um, <clears> did you know that the city of Portland has the biggest percentage of super hosts, like mm. in the country? I think that might have been the reason, part of the reason why I thought I heard that uh, the city was not very favorable with Airbnb because it would be turning a lot of um, uh, urban homes into rental units, mm. which they didn't want. They wanted owners to stay in the in the in the homes. Yeah. So define superhost because <clears throat> I, I mean I 
Sorry. Get it in principle. Yeah, sure, yeah. yeah. So, well, first of all, what is also very different about Portland is the fact that they actually have a permitting process where you have to buy a permit, you get an inspection. To be an Airbnb? Yes. Wow, and I didn't know that. it's a thousand bucks or a couple thousand bucks oh, wow. um, per year. Go Portland. And so you get a permit <laughs> and then you get the inspection and then they actually tell you what kind of Airbnb you can have. They actually dictate wow. how many Jeez. people, how many rooms, is it an ADU, is it a spare bedroom, you can't do both kind of a thing. So Yeah, but I, aren't there people out there running pirate? Correct. How do they and police and that? Uh, Portland does mm. a once a year, we'll call it sweep. Um, one of my friends actually got busted in the last sweep. Busted. Um, they came by and they they said they were going to find her like again ten thousand oh. yeah. dollars um, because she knew. I mean, yeah, yeah. they it's told flagrant, everybody flagrant yeah. violation. Yeah, they, so they like thumbing your nose at yeah. the government. So a super host is actually someone. There's there's several different regulations. One of them is your response rate. You know how quickly you do you get back to people that ask you questions. The other one is how many negative reviews or how many less how than five fewer. star reviews you mm-hmm. have. Ah. The other one is how much um, what your booking percentage is. Um, so it's kind of a you know several different things. People freak out when they lose their super host status. They're like, oh my god. Um, Look, but they got to get rid of the tattoo. Yeah, <laughs> but super hosts also get um, perks from Airbnb. Airbnb will send you Airbnb credits, so they encourage you to go stay at other people's yeah. houses. So, so in the podcast world, that's been my obsession this week is listening. There's three or four of them that are really, really good. In fact, Mark, I'll have to ask you offline. Some of the podcasts I listen to, they seem to speed up the audio. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's an intention to try to fit it in a smaller time frame, but it's really tough to listen to. I've never heard anything like that. Yeah, so there are podcast players that you can actually speed up the audio to listen to it. But that's user-defined. Well, but maybe she's bumped the wrong button. Oh, yeah, maybe that's, that's what I That's a possibility. Did, but yeah, it doesn't yeah. sound, but, when I, but it doesn't... That's not the case for our podcast. Well, it's it's a listener-driven thing, oh, okay. right? So people that want to consume information faster can go like one point yeah. two five faster, right. one point oh. five and up to two. No, but what like I mean mouse. is, is yep. if I if I'm listening on my iPhone, which I yep. always do, if yep. I listen to ours, the audio is <laughs> fine. Anyways. So, so, so it's interesting. The back to tiny houses, because um, this is not the podcast podcast. I know. Okay, I know. so hopefully that one listener's still there right now. It's a tangent kind of day. Yes, it is. So yeah, there's a. <clears throat> so there's there's some we, without getting into a whole lot of details. I just want to touch on it because it's just so interesting. There's some shakeout shakedowns going on in the tiny house industry with uh, some of our more darling people having trouble and uh, it'll be interesting to see what's going to happen in the future as the industry continues to shake out and change and evolve Um, and Mark and I were actually just talking last week about how it seems like the money the real money is being made in potentially communities rentals like you're talking about michelle and then very large communities potentially but we haven't yet seen anything really large other than that place that we talked about in texas right and that's still in development phase but yeah maybe the maybe the developer is now this new we'll call it the fifth arm of the tiny house movement yeah so yeah it's it's quickly moving It, it seems like to me it's it's reverberating from diyers out to people trying to make a commercial interest out of it and then maybe back a little bit towards DIYers again. 
Okay. Yeah, there's a lot of drama in Oregon right now, too, <clears throat> about the tiny house builders. Um, again, we could make a whole entire show um, about the, we'll call it the drama, mm-hmm. about the different municipalities and what's going on and, and mm-hmm. who's doing well and, mm-hmm. and who's struggling and why. Could mm-hmm. bring tears to your eyes. Could bring tiny tears to your eyes. Or teardrops to your or eyes. Or teardrop trailer <laughs> drops to, to your, your eyes. eyes. Um, which is a, which is a, a very... <laughs> Very veiled attempt mm. to segue to our guest. Not too veiled because he <laughs> yeah. got it. He did. Yeah. Well, that's because he's he sees teardrops all day long. <laughs> Let's introduce Andrew Bennett, owner of Tra- Trekker Trailers, uh, who's joining us on the show today. Uh, Andrew, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. How you doing? Thanks for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you for your patience <laughs> while we did our little pre- <laughs> preamble our little, ramble. Our, yeah, our preamble hey, ramble. <laughs> preamble. I love it. But I know that you're in that space too, so maybe we'll circle back. I know that you do some rentals too, right? Yeah, I do. And I was listening to your the the discussion about the um, Airbnb, and uh, that stuff does really interest me. You know, we do uh, you know the small camper rentals, um, you know, the teardrops and gypsy, gypsy wagons, and those, those have been our most popular ones. So, yeah, easy to pull with small SUV, small cars. Get out there, get on the road, and make your dream trip happen. You know. Do you rent on outdoorsy? Um, I, I'm actually going to start using them. I've been using RVShare.com, mm-hmm. um, and, and they've been great. A little hard with the customer service, but the um, you know the systems are pretty good. But we're also going to go ahead and branch out to Outdoorsy and Campanda now as well. Oh, yeah. yeah. So you, yep. so so you're so let's talk a little bit about the, these units that you that you make. They're teardrops and um, the gypsies. Are they they designed for temporary living? Um, the, I do both. I've done probably half and half with the gypsy wagons. About the ones I've built have been people living in them full time. So they'll have, you know, a, a, a shower, uh, typically a wet bath with a removable porta potty or, a, you know, bucket toilet or mm-hmm. compost or whatever. And they pull that out of the shower and then they have the shower space. Um, and, and then it'll have either a small indoor kitchen and some of them want, like on my personal one, we have an outdoor kitchen because we do all our cooking outside. And and the 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 ones that you build for full time are I, I I'm just fascinated by the the what looks like the design build nature of these things and wondering what kind of uh, insulation you provide for like cold nights and and hot days even. Well, I mean you're you're talking about a very very small space, mm-hmm. so an insulation factor is not really that big of a deal um, because you're talking. I mean ours is only seventy square feet. So even with poor insulation or no insulation, you could heat it or cool it very easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, when people are going to extreme, extreme, extreme cold temperatures, you know, in the negatives and stuff, we'll do extra insulation packages and so forth. Speaking of which, how'd that heater um, turn out for you? <laughs> which, which heater? So when we were in Florida, um, I was headed out and about and... Uh, and um, I was said, hey, I went to several people and I said, hey, I'm headed to, what do you guys need? Like, I'm going to the liquor store, I'm going to Walmart, and I picked you That's up a right. little. You went and picked up the heater for me. <laughs> I did, and I, the thing that surprised me most is you're like, I don't know, just a little, you know, little space heater. Um, it's funny yeah. for, as, for as much as people obsess over what it takes to heat the space, that you weren't concerned about it. No, it, it really, even the smallest heater, like that little, I think you picked it up at one of the convenience stores or whatever, but um, it, that smallest one, you still put it on the lowest setting and, and even sometimes leave a window open a little bit. Hmm. 
I mean, we had four people in 70 square feet, you know, my wife and two kids and, you know, body heat alone <laughs> generates enough really to keep you warm. But it got pretty cold there, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, my, I think much colder. Well, I think it froze like the, the night before the festival actually started. People were freaking out. It was freezing <laughs> in know, Florida. Well, <laughs> Florida. I mean, of all places. Yeah. <laughs> I had to put on my winter sandals. <laughs> your winter sandals. winter sandals. Yeah, I think you had socks on with your sandals or some <laughs> hipster shit. It's a Florida. It's a Florida skill. Uh, <laughs> so, um, how many? Um, how many do you make uh, per month? Like, tell us a little bit about your your lead time, your operation. How many do you make per month? Your staff. Um, I mean, there's there's three of us full time here, all veterans um, from Vietnam vet down to uh, um, Desert Storm, Desert Shield. So we're 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 well staffed with three good quality guys, but we still only build maybe one or two a month because everything's handcrafted. Um, we're we're not like a big mass production thing here because um, you've seen my gypsy wagons. You when you were there, we had thirteen of them on display. Yep. And. Uh, they're all unique and they're all different. And they're all made with with the highest quality materials we can get, and and they just take time. It takes time to build one, and uh, we don't want to we don't want to mass produce that because we want to keep it you know as a custom and and proud you know pride of ownership, pride of building kind of units. How long have you been in business? Oh gosh, I've been doing this specifically for since '08. What did you do before that? Uh, I restored vintage homes, um, a lot of vintage homes as old as 1800s, and that was one of the things I was well known for. And that's, that's kind of what led me to the craftsman stuff is, you know, I was restoring these homes that were 100 years old, 150 years old, and realized, you know, they didn't have any caulking, they didn't have any pressure-treated lumber, they didn't have any of the stuff, composite materials, and yet here this house is over 100 years old, and it's fine. So. I noticed that a lot of it was just in how you actually built stuff. I mean, if you make a windowsill that's angled out, you know, so that the water runs off instead of trying to caulk it so water can't get in, um, you can you can make stuff last. I mean, there's wooden chips that have been in the water for three, four hundred years. Wow. So it's, it's possible. It's funny you, that you mentioned those windows because I was walking down my through my neighborhood and I noticed a house, a, a really old house, and the how the the windows they were not straight up and down. The bottom part of the window was out farther than the top part is that what you're talking about exactly and, and nobody does that anymore yeah um with the basic building i mean I don't, it doesn't matter if you have a three million dollar home every part of it was built by the lowest bidder yeah and done in the fastest way possible which unfortunately um isn't always the best you know and the stuff that passes code today uh, like i saw a house that passed every inspection there was you know regular you know two three thousand square foot house being built um, and within a year, it had to be bulldozed. Well, this it, is, it, it, sorry, sorry. I was just going to say, this is this is what we were talking about several episodes ago with a person who was talking about how their um, their tiny houses were built to the RV code. And we were saying, but that doesn't mean anything relative to how necessarily exactly. well built it is. Well, I mean, our, the RVIA, remember when Katrina hit and they had the problems with those FEMA trailers, people yeah. getting really sick. And, and I think there was, a couple that died even don't quote me on that well <laughs> don't quote me, but i'm, I'm we'll not keep it to ourselves but, but it, it was pretty rough but it was because they're not designed or inspected to be lived in in fact they're supposed to have a sticker by their own bylaws in there that says only safe for 30-day occupancy at a time and that's even the park models huh. uh, 
they're, they're not designed. They don't have the proper moisture barrier. They don't have the uh, proper um, uh, the low VOC materials. They can use higher VOC, cheaper materials. The insulation is is um, susceptible to your moisture and your breath and stuff. So it, it's just not. There's a real thing called cabin fever, mm-hmm. and it's because oh. you don't. If your body puts off these these chemicals and moisture and stuff like that that have to be dis- dissipated, and if you keep yourself up in something that's airtight. Um, long enough, you're basically wallowing in your own, you know, off-gassing. Don't here. you remember? <laughs> do you remember our our, our um, shall we say it? Shall we consider it generously? Our chat with Brad Kittle yes, from Tiny Jake. Yes. Yeah, that's what he was talking about. Yeah, remember he that? was. Yeah. So it's so where where did you um, learn your like? What were you doing before you started working on vintage homes that had you qualified to work on vintage homes? Um, well, I, I mean, I had my own company out of the military. I was, I was an engineer in the military, first of all, but out of, out of the military, I had my own business with a car detailing business, but I, I made it mobile. And so I had to start organizing things in the small spaces to travel and, and do my work. Um, but then I, I met up with a guy who was a contractor, um, the, the best contractor I've ever known, and he's generational house builder so he came from the from the stock of people that made sure everything was at an angle and built built with um you know pride and actually handcrafted so he he offered me a job saying hey i'd like to like to hire you to work for me on your days off and i said sure and he gave me a number amount and i said i'll do it but let's cut that number amount in half and you take the time to tell me why we're doing things instead of just having me do them because i want to learn not just do wow that was a good idea yeah, so I learned from the guy, you know, and his houses were generally 10 to 20% more expensive than everybody else, but it was because of the stuff you don't see, you know, the stuff behind the walls, the the quality and pride you take in actually building stuff. And that's and that's where I come from is um is taking taking pride in what I'm doing because I you know, we build everything we say here at the shop with a 300 year lifespan projection and so in 300 years if it's not still holding up we'll give you one you know give you your money back so andrew i guess so, so back there in 1911 when you were working with a guy who cared about what he did you must be like a 200 years old now yeah <laughs> <laughs> no we uh you know he's actually i think he's probably retired now the guy the, the uh the builder that i worked with back then yeah you know, even even in my own family history, my family came over on the Mayflower. We have historic history in this country a lot. The the bimetallic adjustable thermostat. I'm looking at one right now in the air conditioner in my office. My grandfather invented that. What? He invented the steam iron. Yeah, he invented the steam iron. I had the patents here in my office. My steam my dad, iron. Yeah, it's like when you iron your clothes and you have steam with it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> steam coming out yeah, of it. it yeah, he invented that. My dad developed the communication systems wow. for the first nuclear sub that went around the world undetected, you know, and I mean, there's just lots of stuff. My, you know, I'm, I'm a descendant of the uh, captain of the Charles W. Morgan. The, you know, it's a famous ship and books and movies about it. It still floats in the water in the Mystic Seaport. Well, hang on, hang so, on a second. You're going, you're going, you're covering so many really cool things to talk about. So let's, let's start back with the Mayflower. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah, yeah. So, so who was your? Who, who were these? Were they? So, tell me, were were the were the first America first settlers in America really um, prisoners? Prisoners? No. <laughs> 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 I wish you could have saw the look on his face when he said that. <laughs> it was contrary. Yeah, it was. A, I'm just making this shit up as I go. <laughs> <around>. <laughs> but we do every face. day, though. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. <clears throat> 
but no, it's 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 fun because having that history, um, it kind of pushes me to make my difference in the world. I can go get a job just doing handyman work and make four or five times what I make doing this, mm-hmm. but it's not changing anybody's life. It's not helping humanity. It's not affecting anything globally. But when I when I allow myself and afford myself by living sustainably to dedicate my life to not just trying to pay a mortgage and keep up with the Joneses, I can actually make a difference. I mean, my TED talk will be out here pretty soon. And in it, I, you know, I talked a little bit about some of that stuff, but I've, you know, I've been in other countries and, and been in president's houses and, um, you know, met with, you know, higher officials and done, done some amazing things. And it's all just been availability. It's like, Hey, I, I have time to go, you know, <laughs> and because we were living in 300 square feet. So, so, so let's, we're going to go off the tiny trail for a little bit. Um, so you were, you're a Vietnam vet? No, I'm not, I'm not that old. Okay. I was in during desert storm, desert shield, but my uh, shop manager is Vietnam vet. Okay. So let's talk about you. So, so how, so were you traveling the country because you were in the military or because of some? No, no, no. We traveled the country because we were just available. Um, like I said, living, living small, living tiny, we, we toured, we actually toured England, Scotland, Africa, Zambia, Mexico, Haiti. We toured the country here for a year and a half in an RV, hiked as much as the Appalachian trails we could do in one shot. Wow. Um, Who's the we? Who's the we? What's that? Who is we? My wife, my wife and I. Okay. Nice. Nice. Cause I think you have two kids, right? I do, I do, and and they're nine years old and four years old now, and we're going to be leaving this year to head out on a similar journey. We're going to start in our little gypsy wagon and uh, tour the country, and then maybe down into Mexico and up into Canada, and and uh, it looks like I may have a chance for us all to go to Australia now. We'll be doing some tiny house stuff over there, um, I think, starting next week or next month. What, uh, is, what does your wife do for work, if anything? She um, she raises my two crazy kids, mm-hmm. and uh, we do a unschooling. She, my wife is actually she's really smart and has a lot of potential to make a whole lot more money to provide for our family than I do. And uh, <laughs> and uh, but we see the value in her just being there to raise our kids right and and help run our household wow. and help us work as a unit. Wow. You know, and, and again, we're we make that trade off consciously. Yeah. To to be a part of the people around us. I mean, even in our younger years, early in marriage, we've been married um, over 20 years now. Um, we were available to babysit for, you know, couples that just needed a date night or, you know, take trips to do missionary work, you know, for, you know, several weeks or a month at a time. Um, just, just cause we were available. We didn't need to make a whole lot of money. And, and again, it was a conscious trade off. And that's the thing I always promote with the tiny house thing is, you know, maybe it, maybe it is a little bit of a struggle to live in 200 square feet, but you know, what do you what do you gain? I mean, just your electric bill alone that you save, uh, you know, you're typically going to save 150, 180 bucks a month living tiny. You could what could you do with that money? Dig wells in Africa? You know, go on a you know Alaskan cruise for two? Go visit family? Not have to work 80 hours a week? Yeah. You know, well, people don't realize they're trading off yeah. for their quote comforts. Where did you, where did, uh, if you can dig back, where, where does this, you have, you have a, a life perspective that, that comes through when you talk about what you're talking about. And I'm wondering, did your parents, did that get instilled in you by your parents or do you have a particular faith or what happened? 
Um, I mean, I do have a particular faith. I'm, I'm a Christian, and um, you know, may, maybe not like the naysayers would think. Um, I'm a pretty liberal Christian, and pretty much just believe in doing good and, mm-hmm. and following and being Christ-like. <laughs> you know, not not a lot of judgment and rules and all that stuff and tradition, but uh, you know, more of it's just a relationship. Honestly, mm. Mm. Um, now growing growing up was different. No, we we were we were poor growing up and struggling, and parents divorced when I was two, mm. and mom remarried at five, and and so on and so on. Just a typical dysfunctional family like everybody else had growing up. And um, but what really was the the turning point for me was my wife and I were only married a few years, and uh, this guy who was kind of like a dad to me. My my real father died when I was ten. Mm. Um, but this guy that kind of, kind of filled that spot for me in my life, I, I went and took him to lunch and I said, Jack, you're, you're, you know, you know me really well. We're a lot alike. And, uh, just what would you do different than what I'm doing right now? And he said, do whatever it takes to travel. So I went home and told my wife, Hey, you're going to have to quit your job. We're going to go travel. She said, no, we're not. So, I mean, she had a pretty established career in the financial industry, but it took a year and a half. But after a year and a half, we got in our little camper and we headed out for, know years and traveled and it was the best decision we ever made uh, while we were out squandering our retirement and everybody else was saving up for it just before you know before the uh, market crashed in 08 and everybody lost it anyway we at least had the memories and experiences where you know friends and relatives you know were living out of the back of their cars and and had nothing to show for all the money they stashed away or invested it's interesting that how one person can change the trajectory of your life in a really positive way. What was it about that person that had you listen to what he had to say? Was was he more successful than you in the way you would liked or something? Um, you know, a lot of times, and, and that's a great question, and and I think it's a good point to a good thing to point out is a lot of times we can advise people better than we advise ourselves. Mm-hmm. It's it's like it'd be a, it'd be a great reality show where we're in charge of other people's decisions and they're in charge of ours. It'd be a great thing to figure that one out. But because I gave him the same advice later on, as he had an opportunity to sell his business for a lot of money, and I said, Jack, I'm going on record as begging you to go ahead and sell this and start living life and go travel. And um, and he didn't, and it was it was enough for all of us to retire on. And and he didn't. He just wanted to keep doing it for a little longer. And then when the market crashed, he lost everything uh, in that business. Mm, wow. And um, now. Now he's in his mid seventies and still has to work, you know, all week every week. Wow! So it's it's he was influential enough in that the idea was a good enough idea for me to follow. But again, we we give advice all the time that we don't follow. You yeah. know what I mean? If yeah. people want to be you're like, oh, okay, well, eat less and do more. You'll be in a lot better shape. And then we sit down with a you know box of cookies. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> That's Mark and his bag of cookies. Oh. <laughs> I was just going to say, so it's just a bag of Skittles. Yeah, this little bag of Have you ever tried to open effects. one and not wake someone up? That's like, right. I don't want to yeah. share. Right. <laughs> so, so, okay, wow. So, so your, so your, your, I almost said your parent, your mom, your, your mom, your, your wife <laughs> went along with this path and she has not regretted it. And obviously neither have you. So, um, and, and you're making one unit a, a month, you said? I'm super surprised. 
I'm surprised to hear that he said he's doing one or two a yeah. month because that was the, like yeah. it, like we said there was 13 of them in That's Florida. Year. That's a year's work. worth of work. I thought I heard yep. you were doing like five to seven per month. Is <clears throat> did you used to do more and now you do less? Like nope. that seems like having an entire year's worth of your builds all in one spot seems like a pretty exceptional experience. Yeah. Well, you know what happened is a lot of all of those were owned already. <laughs> Um, there was only one there that was available for purchase. Everything else was already owned. So those were people that were living in theirs full time, traveling in theirs, um, that had had them for a year or two years. Um, and they just like, hey, can I come to the show? I was like, sure, I'll get you in for free if you want to bring the, you know, the, the gypsy wagon. And it just worked out. Everything just kind of fell into place. And um, I don't know if you met the uh, Lee that was in the wheelchair. Um, he's a disabled vet and does a lot for disabled vets, and that's kind of where he dedicates his life. Well, I built that little hunting unit for that. him. Yeah, and he, I mean, that guy is is fantastic. And he said of all the things that he's had to help him um, with his disability to enjoy life, he said that thing made the biggest difference of, of all of it. I mean, with the wheelchairs, the handicapped trucks, the, you know, whatever, everything. He said the, the most difference that was in his life was that little camper that he can live in, stay in, travel, go hunting. Um, he just sent me a picture yesterday. I mean, I built that for him years ago and he still calls me, comes by, takes me to lunch and, and just says, man, that thing changed my life. You know, and it was just simple. It was a little $5,000 camper. Yeah. And but, it's not even teardrop. It's like a big cube. Yeah. It was just a box, but yeah. every part of that box fit him perfectly, yeah. you know? So, the, so we, <laughs> we interviewed a, a I, I want to say it's a, it was a woman photographer who lived in a teardrop. Mandy mm -hmm. Lee. Yeah, Mandy Lee. Mandy Lee. Yeah. And and so these things are apparently, so I'm over here with a little bit of skepticism about how comfortable it would be to live full time in one of these things, towing it behind like a Hyundai Sonata or something. <laughs> 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 and, 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 and you're raving about it and Mandy was raving about it. And, and Michelle has one of these things of her own design. That I tow behind my convertible. Yes, with its little cambered axle. Yeah. <laughs> and so... <laughs> and so it's like, it, it, uh, and it's the trade-off. It's all the trade-offs. So, so let's say you're traveling, like our gypsy wagon will live four of us pretty easily, but it is 70 square feet. We're pulling it with a minivan. So we don't need the expense of a big truck. We don't need a lot of fuel to do it. So if we do get cooped up and, and, you know, just need to stretch out a little bit, all the money we save, we can go rent an Airbnb or, you know, on the coast or a beach house or something for a week or stay in a resort for a couple of weeks. If we just need the space. Yeah. Uh, the, the thing is, it's the trade-off. It's just like you go to work every day and you work all day long, and the trade-off is you get a paycheck so you can go do things. Right. Well, it, it's the same thing. We're we're trading off. I'm going to be a little bit this, you know, uncomfortable, or you know, squishing in a little bit for this period of time. But if it gets overwhelming, I'm going to you know take a vacation, as it were. You know, you take a vacation and time off and long weekends from work. Well, we're going to do the same thing with our tiny house or our gypsy wagon is we'll take a vacation from it. Um, we'll probably keep a house in Florida. You know, I, I own a, a regular, quote-unquote, traditional home uh, that has a little 200-square-foot apartment on the side. So we'll probably keep that as our home base uh, when we start traveling full-time with our kids. Just somewhere to come back to, you know? Mm -hmm. So so you, so a, a little bit of personal questions here you don't have to answer. Um, yes, you do. As, as you're making these things one at a time, and your wife is unschooling your kids, how much income are you generating from this wonderful enterprise of yours? Well, according to my 
tax return <laughs> from 2017, zero. <laughs> well, that's well, of course. <laughs> good tax. Uh, that's a good uh, thing. That's a good Yay. tax man. Exactly. No, Congratulations. No, it's not. It's um. It's it's not a good thing. It's well. What what happened was I ended up building uh four tiny houses for free. Um. So that sucked up most of last year. Probably not a good so, business um, model. You can make it up in volume. It's not. Me. But but all those people's lives are changed forever. So it's yeah. a great business model. Yeah. My, you know, the, the only guaranteed return on investment is in people. Dude, you need to put that on a magnet. <laughs> on a magnet, okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I always say, I've been saying that for years, the only guaranteed return on investment is in people. This is why I'm a huge advocate for fostering. Both my kids are adopted, one through the foster care system. Oh. And, you know, 70% of our nation's inmates are aged out foster kids. They've never been taken in by anybody. You know, they they've are? Always been, yeah. So hmm. it's it's crazy. Wow. So if we start valuing people, you know, there, there's always that all these pushes. Right. <laughs> it, it sounds horrible, doesn't it? Well, I'm a foster, so. Um, but you're yeah. not in prison. No, I know, but I knew oh, that I was just. Close. But I. <laughs> <laughs> More recently than you mm. might imagine. Um, so I'm a foster kid, but I know that also I'm a statistical anomaly too, though yeah. too. I yeah, mean, yeah. Was uh, was our, that one guest that we had who was incarcerated? Was he? Fo- he was foster kid too, wasn't he? No, he was abandoned <laughs> for all intents purposes. Uh, you know what I'm talking well, about? Well, that's yes. the same. Yeah. That's the same Similar emotional principle. Yes. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Yeah, it is. It is the same thing, really. So, yeah. so you really, you really. Except for washing, not washing people's feet, you really do live the life of Jesus in a large measure. You're a carpenter. You build shit. And he Excuse didn't me for he that. doesn't wash people's feet. So That's true. He did he not. He did not mention his no. feet washing skills. Yeah, feet are gross. <laughs> okay, there you go. We cleared up not, that rumor. Not Jesus. Check. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When when I see him next time, I definitely want to say, "What the heck were you thinking?" <laughs> Well, speaking of Jesus and preaching to the masses, how was TED Talk? How was your TED Talk? It's on my bucket list. I'm really jealous. So if next time someone from the TED organization says, hey, we want to talk to somebody else, then you tell them that they can talk to me. But it's on my bucket yeah, that's list. That's all I get all the time. Hey, we want to talk to somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've been there, done that though, right? Yeah. So it how was, was it? It was really a surprise. It was it was amazing. It was um it was life changing. I think. Um, and my my nine year old son and my wife attended. My nine year old son is is pretty unique kid. I mean, he has his own company already. He's unschooled. Um, he does like these entrepreneurial podcasts every morning at like six o'clock or five thirty. He reads like crazy. He's an accomplished baker. Um, so I think that having the time again, that my wife is able to input all of that into our kids, which is going to create a generation in, in my family, at least of kids who are productive in society and contributors to humanity. You know, he volunteers at shelters, he cooks food for people and he was a very generous, generous kid. And I, and I think that that's another one of the big benefits. And that, and that's one of the things I talked about with my Ted talk is, Hey, listen, you, you really can change the world. You don't think you can change the world? Well, let me tell you tell you how, and then I want to tell you why you should, and you know, give some examples of uh, of the opportunities you can just open yourself up to. So let's give a shout out to your son's podcast, and maybe we can get him some more listeners. What's the name of the podcast? My son hasn't done a podcast. Oh, I 
I thought you said he did every morning at six. Yeah, I thought, yeah. Oh, no, oh, I'm sorry. No, he listens to one. Oh, he's oh, doing oh, 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 oh. Sorry. No, he's doing the Caleb Maddox thing, the 14-year-old millionaire from Florida. What, um, what is that? He's uh, Caleb Maddox. If you just, just Google that, it'll show up. Like, he's spoken with Gary Vaynerchuk and uh, Tony Robbins, and um, he's an incredible kid, quite a quite a motivation. But, yeah, he was a millionaire by the time he was 14 years old. Cool. Uh, starting Starting broke homeless with seven dollars in his pocket wow. you know, he and his dad so hmm. yeah so it's pretty inspirational when my son follows that kind of stuff and 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 he has input and he they share you know uh you know they uh message back and forth and stuff so he's he's not as intense as caleb but um he definitely sees the value in in deciding something choosing something and pursuing it cool very nice. So, and most of what he does with his baking is, you know, he'll donate it for charity, for fundraisers, for auctions, and uh, stuff like that. He made a cake one time. He donated to an auction that brought 150 bucks uh, to help kids go to summer camp. So, wow, that's cool. So, yeah. So you're a proud papa. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, awesome. Absolutely. Yeah, awesome. What? Um, so I'm looking at one of your videos right now, the Graham Graham Getaway Gypsy Bug Out Camper. Camper. Do you remember that one? <laughs> yes, I do. Okay. So yep. it, it it so my understanding of Bug Out Campers goes back to one of our guests, the Afro Vivalist. Right. You, you probably haven't listened to. Yes. But anyway, um, Bug Out means you. It's a it's a survivalist type term, meaning when it when the shit hits the fan, you're bugging out with your bag and your gun and your ammo. Uh, and exactly, may, and maybe uh, a friend to take along who's going to help carry some yeah. of the ammo. <laughs> but this bug out <laughs> yeah. camper that you've got in this video doesn't look at all militaristic. It looks beautiful and homey. It it is. Homey. Well, his his concept, homey. Uh, there's another magnet for you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I wasn't sure if that was a noun or an adjective. Exactly. So I'm just yeah. saying. <laughs> Hey man, your bug out camper looks homey, homie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so we're having so, way more fun than I thought we were going on this podcast. Absolutely. <clears throat> but you know what? With his, the, the, the concept was that it has everything he needs to be able to live in it full time and be comfortable. Again, it's, it's the trade off. I learned that skill hiking the Appalachian Trail. Um, you, you start doing things like cutting the handle off your toothbrush so you don't have to carry that extra few grams. Yeah. Really? But you'll carry a heavier mattress so that you don't have to sleep on a rock. Yeah, exactly. Everybody their, yeah, everybody finds their comfort zone. Yeah. Um, I, I wanted a tent, and I was more comfortable carrying a tent and sleeping better at night than sleeping under a tarp and having less weight to carry. Yeah. So the same thing applies to tiny houses, which is everybody says, why don't you just buy an RV? Because you get an RV with what it comes with. A tiny house, you get it with exactly what you need. Oh, them are fighting words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if, I had, if, if I had an dime every time I have seen that argument on uh -huh. Facebook, I would have a lot of money. <laughs> You'd have yeah. Money. Yeah. Pretty fat piggy bank. Exactly. <laughs> You'd have well, I mean, five dollars. <laughs> hey, good. Go, go ahead down to your RV dealer and have them custom build one for you. See how that works. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah, ser seriously. So, Andrew, it was, it's been great having you on the show. Really, you were a, a ball of good stories, and we really appreciate you. <laughs> and uh, we appreciate Michelle for booking you on our show today. Um, awesome. So, and then Tiny House podcast listeners, you heard yet another interesting show. 
Can and, I do another shout out to our Facebook yeah, page? Yeah, shout out to the Mount Out. Tiny House Podcast on Facebook. So if you, of course, if you um, follow or um, if you follow us on Facebook, then every single Wednesday when when a new episode comes live, it'll show up on your Facebook feed. Um, and also we've got some good conversations going on, Tiny House People as well. So mm-hmm. sometimes we take our podcast and, and encourage others to comment also on whatever we got going on. So Talk to us. Yep. Let us and know by the way, I want to thank you, Michelle, for doing that because it's uh, it. I think it needs to be out there to have these positive conversations about this this movement and this industry. Absolutely, I think it's well worth it. You know, find find where you're comfortable and make it work. And I think you're helping promote that. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun, and it's like I said, I for the people that don't necessarily listen to our podcast or podcast in general, it's great to see again the additional conversations and discussion and sometimes debate. Um, about yeah. what it is we're talking about. Yeah. Yep. And that's good. Yep. Good all around. All right, uh, Andrew, thank you so much for being on the show. And listeners, come back next week because we're going to have another show on. Yep. Bye. Bye. Yep. 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 See ya. <laughs> thank you for listening to Tiny House Podcast. To find us online, go to tinyhousepodcast.com, where you will also find our show notes if we remember to put them there. Our logo was designed by the amazing Carolyn Maine. Our website is hosted by the gang at Sightcast. Our theme music is by Oma Studio. Please go to iTunes and give us a five-star rating, or whatever. You tiny house-loving bastard. Tiny House Podcast is probably made in Portland, Oregon. 